Welcome to the fee-for-service dentist podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today's guest, Dr. Sonia Chopra. She's a homegirl. She's from Vestal, New York, which is right across the river from Enwell, New York, where I live. And she is a world-renowned endodontist who has a phenomenal program that she has going on e-school. She has independent coaching, private coaching. She has training and online training and independent DIY training and all sorts of things to help you. And her story is interesting in that she got into dentistry because she had a massive toothache that nobody could diagnose. So the kind endodontist, Dr. Joe McMenamin, good friend of mine, uh, finally diagnosed it and they had a wonderful experience and she went into endodontics as a direct result, pretty much. She also finished her schooling, went into a residency program, went and practiced general practice two or three years in New York City, came out, wanted to go to endodontics, came out of endodontics, started her own practice. The practice became a vision of where she was going and then at, at a certain point she felt trapped. She hit a wall and she felt it was a downward spiral and she handled it by fixing herself and it's a fascinating story. It's very motivational. She's a TED Talk speaker so I get it and she's a wonderful, wonderful person. So please give it a listen. Um, if you like it, share it with your friends. Click like, share it on all the platforms. We also have the video version up on the Facebook group. If you don't like it, well, send me some notes and let me know what you don't like or what you'd like to see more of. Or if you want to be a guest, please do. As always, our podcast, the Feet for Service Dentist Podcast, brought to you by Kettenbach. Kettenbach has a brand new nano hybrid composite. It's highly filled at over 80%. Has a fill and a flow version. It's called Vesalis Fill and Vesalis Flow. It's a aesthetic restorative, high durability and strength, can be used anterior or posterior. Great flex shade system, including a bleach and an opaque shade. The user can easily and quickly determine the right tooth shade without having to go through a whole stock of wide range of compules and other aesthetic components. Hit up Kettenbach, call them today, 877-532-2123, 877-532-2123, or hit them up on the website, kettenbachusa.com or kettenbach-dental.us. Thanks for listening, folks. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. And today we have a special guest. You may have heard of her if you are in any way up on anything that is going on in dentistry, especially in the, I'm going to say marketing world, but I'll say in like social media, as well as continuing education, TED Talks, hint, hint, 
Okay. Our guest, and she's a homegirl for me. She grew up right across the river. So I'm bringing back the 607 here. And this is Dr. Sonia Chopra. And funny story, my dad, when he retired from IBM, went into a business and he was doing closets and closet organizer, like California closets thing, but they called it closets and more. And I'm 99% sure that he did the closets in their house. So we come full circle and we get to talk to Dr. Chopra. How are you? I'm so well. Thank you so much for having me. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Chopra, okay? She is a board certified endodontist. And we're going to talk about that because that's I think that's important. She thinks that's important, but she talks about it as in her community, it may or may not land. She's a TED speaker. That's right, TED speaker. Forbes contributor, author, endodontic instructor, and founder of Valentine Endodontics in Charlotte, North Carolina. In fact, she was the first female endodontist to practice in Charlotte. She became passionate about endodontics after an experience as a patient where her pain was misdiagnosed and the wrong tooth was extracted. It wasn't until I was referred to an endodontist that I was correctly diagnosed and a root canal saved me from excruciating pain. Now she is on a mission to save teeth. And she does all this. She has an e-school. She has all kinds of educational opportunities. You can hire her. She's as a consultant. You name it. She can help you with it. I've known her off and on a little bit recently, but got to know her a little bit more recently because of a lot of common bonds, but uh, very fortunate. I reached out to her and said, hey, you want to talk about this? She'd love to talk. I mean, her first response was, I'd love to. And I mean, she's she's got, a, you know, my, my associate, my assistant helps me with this. She's got a, a business outside of the business of endodontics where she is out there and she's helping so many other dentists and she has all different um, platforms and different ways to reach folks. So why don't we start, let's start there. What are some of the things that you got going on? Tell some of our listeners, what you got going on? The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Oh gosh. All right. Well, I have my private practice. How many I have, what does that entail? How many days? Well, now I work five days a month. So I went from a five month. days a five Not days a week. A week. A month. I, okay. I went from five days a week to five days a month. That's kind of like my new story um, that I'm extremely proud of because my production hasn't changed. Actually, Every, everybody gotten, hear that? It's five gotten more. Days, <laughs> five days a month. And she also went fee for service, which I, I, I'm going to shame her a little bit about that because I think <laughs> it took her way too long. I did. So, so you practice endodontics basically a day and a quarter a, a week. Yes. Okay. Yep. And it's because I also, I'm a mother of three, so that's another hustle, right? Um, and I really want to enjoy my time being a mother. And I run eSchool, which is my online endo program. It's online and live. And I speak a lot. I also um, teach some workshops, some business workshops. And I just started my new business mentorship program. 
Are you so. on the Are you on the Facebook group Endodontics for Dentists or something? Isn't there Isn't there a Yeah, we're in that together. Yeah, yeah. Endodontists <laughs> for general dentists or inter just just a little bit. I yeah. I try to be in there as much as I can, but I also try not to be on social media as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unfortunate. It's too easy now. It's just they made yeah. it too accessible. All right, so so tell us, let's take it back. Let's take it back to Vestal, New York. She was born and raised here, folks. She now now I just want you to know I went to Union Endicott and our arch rival as a tiger of Union Endicott was the bear, the golden bear of Vestal. And we used to do stupid things around that football game. We would try to paint their bear in front of the school orange and black, and they would come and try to get our tiger and paint them vestal green and gold, all that stuff. So when did you think about dentistry? When did that come from? So my mom and my brother are both physicians and I'm Indian. So that was kind of my, my birthright (laughs) was the physician track, but I really didn't want to go down that path because I, I looked at my mom and her lifestyle and I could tell that she didn't love it and I needed a little bit more um, control over it. And so I thought dentistry was still medicine and acceptable to my Indian parents and (laughs) felt like I was always the dental patient. So that was really where I wanted to be. And it, I felt like I would have more ability to create my own schedule when I got older and became a mom. Now, didn't, didn't your mom share some of that with you? Like, Listen, you know, Sonia, it's this is it's a tough lifestyle to be a mom and to be working in this field. Why not look at something where you can maybe have a better family life? Was that was that ever discussed with you? No, not with my mom. That was really like my choice. And I think, you know, seeing her not be able to make it to my dance recitals and and seeing her emotions behind it. Like I knew she was sad that she would miss things because she's an anesthesiologist and she was always on call. Right. So I I could see that as a child. And I I remember how I felt not having my mom there. So if, if I really look, I feel like that's one of my things is I can really see into the future and I can do it from an early age. And I knew that wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted. And so dentistry was for me because again i had to check that box for my indian parents Mm -hmm. it's funny because my as a kid i wanted to do like i wanted to work with kids i was like i'll be a doctor i'll be a pediatrician i don't know where i came up with that but that was that was what i was thinking my dad goes why don't you be a dentist it's a better lifestyle Mm -hmm. I'll, i'll never forget those words and i have no idea at the time what that meant all i knew was well let me check it out so anybody i ever asked shot it down immediately Oh, you'll change your mind. My guidance counselor, my high school, every single person I came across said the same thing to the point where I think that then became the real motivation to do this. Like what, what's, what's with these people. Now, if I had known that it took a lot of hand skills and you, maybe if you're a good artist, I'd have been like, Oh no, that's not for me. Instead of just saying, well, Hey, you know, Johnny did it and Anthony did it. Why can't Sonny do it? So I mean, it's, it was probably one of the best things I ever did, but now I know what my dad meant by it's a better lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that's, that's key. And, and, and I think for moms, especially moms that 
have a lot of uh, responsibilities and, and, and there's no bigger responsibility than raising a family. And they recognize the fact that they want to be maybe a more active participant in that, I think is huge. Yep. So at what age were you when you decided this? Where were you at in your journey? Were you a high, high school sophomore and where were you? I remember being in my college dorm room, sitting on that little twin size bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what am I going to be? My, my best friend from high school was my roommate. And I just sat there one day with the book of majors in my lap. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, cause I started out as a biochemistry major and that like quickly shifted within the first couple of weeks. I'm like, I do not like this topic. I need to do something different. And so already like that need to pivot so early on and I haven't even like done much that like really scared me. It shook me up and I'm like, I have to pick something and I have to find a way, something that I'm going to stay committed to. There's a huge lesson. And so like, I kind of like close my eyes and turn the pages and then just put my finger on a page. And I'm like, is that, is that the major for me? And I landed on anthropology and I loved it. And I was like, you know, what? this sounds like what I want to do. And I became an anthropology major and I had a dance concentration. So it was like all over the place, but I figured whatever I chose, I could still just have that as a major and then figure out what I was going to do by the time I was a junior in college. Um, and again, I had a massive toothache my first year of college. And that experience is really what made me jump into dentistry because it, it had such an impact on me. You actually may know the guy who I talk about all the time. He doesn't even know that I talk about him. Dr. McMenamin, do you? Oh, yes. Remember? Oh, I know Joe. No, I used to he, practice. Right, I used to practice right next door. First yeah. I was in well, the office right next to him. So whenever I tell this story, I I'm talking about him because mm -hmm. he, he literally changed my life and he has no idea. <laughs> he is an old school hippie. I, he was the coolest guy. Yeah, he was just... the coolest guy in the world. And I went to another guy and I don't want to say his name because I may get it wrong. Cause I don't really remember, but there was only two endodontists in town at the time. Yeah. And well, first I was referred to the oral surgeon and my mom would do anesthesia with this oral surgeon, uh, Dr. Fiddler. Yeah. Thing that, yeah. Mike. And, and I, I, I would shadow in his office growing up. And I went to his office and I was, it was like a nine month saga of this toothache that nobody could diagnose. I was having referred pain like crazy. I didn't understand it at the time. I understand it completely now. And my mom had no idea what to do. And she just hated the fact that her daughter was in so much pain for, for so long. And I would go to, go to Buffalo where I went to college and my dad would have to come pick me up because I'd be in so much pain because I would be in a flare up. And nobody could diagnose me. I ended up seeing a neurologist. I saw all these medical doctors, different dentists, nothing. Um, and then eventually I swelled up. They told me like my pain was in my head. And then I had an actual cellulitis and because it's, it was necrotic for so long and it wasn't treated. So um, 
I was referred to Dr. Fiddler. I feel bad because I could see his face. He did not want to extract my tooth, but that was instructions on the referral slip. And I I knew that he didn't want to take this tooth out. He's like, this tooth is totally savable, but I was 17. I had no idea what was going on. I, I only know this now (laughs) in retrospect. And he got me numb. I felt great. He took my tooth out, but then I went home and my anesthesia wore off and my pain came back. And I was already born without eight teeth. So it was already a little bit of a dental freak. And then here I get this other tooth out and now I'm missing nine teeth. And then they're like, well, now she still has her toothache. You can't take another tooth out. Now you have to go to an endodontist. They send me to one and I was a basket case at this point because I'm swollen. I'm actually getting feverish. It's it's bad. And um, he kind of threw his hands up. He's like, I can't treat her because I really, I don't think I was a good patient in that moment. Um, but I don't know. I was just in so much pain and so many tears. And then I got referred to Dr. McMenamin. And what a difference. Mm-hmm. Like this, this guy had the best bedside manner I had ever ever experienced in all of these physicians, dentists, whatever. And I remember his ponytail, like, so like, that's all I remember of him. He was just this this surfer dude in this house that he turned into this dental practice. And, and um, he explained everything to me and he made me trust my body again. He told me exactly why it happened. I had cracked my tooth and that's why people couldn't find it. And then my nerve went necrotic. And even every step of the way he did, I remember him, he was only using hand files at the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he, it was a few appointments but he explained everything all along the way. And he really taught me to trust the signs that my body was giving me. And I, I emulated him ever since. He was a great guy. He helped me out <laughs> uh, a couple times. I talked to him a fair, he treated my sister, my sister, before I graduated, had some issues with some old uh, Sargeni paste mm-hmm. um, endos and her doctor was the doctor that hired me, and I, I, and he sent her next door. So they went to see Joe, and he, I mean, my sister's right. I mean, they probably smoked the same stuff. You know, he and my sister just dialed in with each other, and he had, she loved him. Like, and he's just this hippie, and she's nobody ever saw his face. He always had a mask on his face. That's what everybody will say. I don't know what his face. Well, he's got a beard and. He looks like, you know, he looks like a Grateful Dead, a deadhead. And yeah, that's been any like a surfer dude. He he lived on a farm in Pennsylvania and he drove a long distance to and from work. But he would work hours. He'd be in the office. He would burn through his assistants because he would be there from one in the afternoon till 10 at night. Wow. Because he would be with a patient a long period of time. And it it felt like um, it was very organic how he did things, but he had that connection. He truly cared about what he did. He cra- it was a craft. It was a profession. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I felt that. I, yeah. I could feel that as his patient. And it's funny. Somebody asked me not too long ago, maybe like a month ago, have you ever reached out to that endodontist who like changed your life? And I'm like, no. And so I Googled him and I tried to find him and I'm like, I can't find this guy. I should probably tell him because I, I talk you. about him all the time. 
I can get you to him. I, I ran into him at Lowe's in the pandemic. I was over there picking something up. And the pandemic was sort of sort of and 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 I and he comes up and he's got the mask on and he's now he's got gray hair and he's got on a tie-dye shirt. And he kind of approached me and, and you know Joe's voice, right? right? <laughs> he's like, Hey, Sonny. And I, and I look up and I'm like, oh no, who is this? Took me a second. He pulls his mask down from a distance. Okay. From a distance. He pulls his mask down. And he goes, Joe. I go, Joe, big man. I was like, oh my God, how you been? <laughs> he bought a place in Cape May and he spends a lot of time there, but I think he still has his place up here. He, he, he rode motorcycles, Harley. Yeah. He just was, he was a free spirit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, you know, it just shows you, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be just good at what you do if you, and yeah. you're passionate about it. And that's what came out of his pores. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I so, like to think I'm his legacy. <laughs> he doesn't know well, it yet, but. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think I have a contact for him. I'll reach out and get it to you, but. I would love that. He, he's he's around. I know he's around. I don't know. Nice. what He probably spends his summers maybe up here if he's not down at the shore, but he loves the winters down there, like Christmas time and Cape May. Mm. He's he's a super nice guy. Nice. So that's it. You're you're a freshman in college and you're going through this. Now, where'd you go to college? Um, SUNY Buffalo. SUNY Buffalo. That's what you said. I'm sorry. SUNY yeah. Buffalo. Okay. All right. Well, you remember where you live? Were you in uh Red Jacket? Were you in Wilson? Yeah, I was. I I lived in uh Sholkoff my first year on South Campus. Then I met then I went to the North Campus. I was in Red Jacket. Um, I was an RA for a year and then I moved off campus and I lived, um, on Custer street, right down from the steer. I don't know I if know, you know, I know exactly is. where Custer <laughs> is. I know exactly where, which is still there, by the way. So now, I can't wait to go back. <laughs> where, where'd you go to dental school? Did you stay at Buffalo? No, I got in, but as soon as I heard from Maryland, I was like, I gotta get out of this snow. Like it was too much for me. So I went to Maryland for dental school. They're not, they, Buffalo is not favorable to Buffalo undergrads. They really are not. I, I know a guy, a kid up there right now, 4.0 student, phenomenal kid, local guy. And I've become very good friends with him. Wrote, I wrote him a letter of recommendation when probably heard him. And uh, he didn't get into Buffalo. I was like, are you kidding? Oh. He got into all seven other schools he applied to. Oh. I, I interviewed on Friday and I got accepted on Monday. Yeah, I mean it's it's something. <laughs> anyway, so you went to. But Mar- that was that was a long time ago. So maybe things have changed. Right? So when you went to Maryland, did you go in thinking I'm going to be an endodontist, or did you go in thinking I'm going to be a dentist? I went in thinking I was going to be a dentist. I really mm-hmm. didn't think about. I I didn't think about endo until, until my second year, and when I got first exposed to endo, and then I started to get intrigued. I'm like, oh, like why? Why did I experience this tooth story? That was that was my thing. I was like, I, I really want to understand what happened here. My endo and, experience in school was just, it was the most frustrating discipline ever. And I couldn't <laughs> understand it. I couldn't understand the con. They would teach you the upper third, the middle third, the lower third. They made it so complicated. Mm. And I was, and, and there was no such thing as crown down. There was no, and, and it was just, I struggled until I finally went to the instructor says, I can't do that. I, what you, she was like, Oh, I've been waiting for you to come ask me for help. I was like, I could have strangled her. I was like, you waiting for me. You saw me sitting in front <laughs> dying here in clinic 
and nothing. And this was just on the blocks and, you know, the yeah. but turns out she turned me on to it because she took the time one-on-one and yeah. I, I love her for it. And I actually enjoy the endodontic process myself. That's what it takes. It takes a good teacher, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Changed my life. Yeah. In that, at least in that discipline. So you're in dental school. At what point does endo become on your map? Um, let me see. I, I really started to like it, but then I started dating an endo resident. <laughs> full, full honesty. <laughs> Well, that's full disclosure. Okay. Yeah. So for two years, that's kind of whenever like one of my patients didn't show up, I was going to the endo clinic to, you know, go do some hours. So I, you know, I just feel like I had a heavy influence at that point. Um, And that was the end of it. And I, I just, I always liked it and I knew I wanted to do it, but I still didn't go right into endo. I did a GPR in New York city after dental school. And then I worked as a GP in Manhattan for a few years. And that's when I really, I gave general dentistry a good shot. I was like, I really want to try it. I want to see if it's for me. But then I noticed even in my GPR, I would swap cases. I would be like, Hey, who wants this denture? I'll take your root canal for this denture. Yeah. And so we would end up swapping things. So I made like a mini specialty, like residency in my, um, during my residency program. And then when I left, I felt like, okay, I have enough experience that I may make this my push as an associate to become more valuable, um, and more hireable. And so I did a lot of endo as an associate, but I was getting frustrated because I felt like mm, I could really be doing this better. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm not doing great with these veneers and all these cosmetic cases. It just like, I, I didn't love it. Like, I'm so happy. I never have to take another alginate. Like that's, that's perfect for me. And I knew that I, I was being okay and mediocre at everything. And I, I, my personality is like, I need to really go in and be good at one thing. So I knew at that moment, three years out of dental school, that endo was for me. All right. So you never gave up, right? But you're still looking for what lit your fire. So yeah, interesting. It's also interesting. The fact that you went to work as a GP and now you're in New York city. So you at this point, you really haven't been in big cities, right? Maryland, you know, it's a little bit bigger than Binghamton. And now you're in New York city, you're in Manhattan for the GPR and then two years of practice or three years of practice. Uh, one year GPR in Brooklyn and then Manhattan for two years. So I was in New York city for three years. Okay. So two so. years private practice, one year of that. And then the endodontics was how much time did you spend and where'd you go? I spent two years at Nova Southeastern university. So I went by the beach, which is a nice 180 from the city. It was, <laughs> it was a fun experience. Okay. So what was your thoughts when you're in there? You think I'm going to, I'm going to open up my own place. After you, yes, yeah. that I knew because I had nine different jobs in New York City in those three years. Oh, my. I had nine jobs. I would work like a day a week in Queens, a day a week in Brooklyn, a day, like 
three days in Manhattan. Like I couldn't find a full-time job. I even worked on a mobile van in Harlem. You name it, I experienced it. it. It's not an easy place to get started. There's there's you and once you see it and you experience it, you realize it's the same practices looking for these new grads over and over and over every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, look, at what, look at what they're doing. Yeah. And the moment I was kind of considered the endodontist, even though I was a general dentist and one practice, that's when I was like, okay, this is not, this is not for me. I don't, I don't want to be considered this when I'm not of that. And I made the commitment to just go back to school. And it was the best thing I ever did. I, I loved my endo program. I loved, um, I loved everything about it. It was hard. It was not easy. We had a stack of literature, like a few inches thick to read every week. Um, I could have probably gone to a less like didactic heavy program because um, I interviewed at Lutheran and it was more clinical, which was great, but I knew that I, I needed something a little harder. I, I wanted to push myself. I wanted, while I was under that safety net of school, to just get as much experience as possible. Because I remember how I felt leaving dental school and how terrified I was to go into the real world because I didn't, I felt like I was shy in my experiences mm-hmm. in dental school. I'm like, oh, I don't want to take that tooth out. Oh, I'm too scared to do this. But so when I went to endo, I was like, give me everything that I can possibly do because this is my time to learn. Well, you mentioned you were missing congenitally eight teeth. Now you're missing nine. So you probably had plenty of experience as a dental patient. Oh, 100%. Just in the endodontist chair but in restorations and replacement and prosthodontics and you name it. Yep. So you know, orthodontic, you know, just so you really experienced quite a few of the disciplines. Yeah. So you would think a general dentist, you, you've, you've experienced a fair amount of it. Okay. Yeah. You can get a feel for it. I didn't do a lot of that. I was just a, a wiggle bug in the chair. So I, I barely sat still for my dentist and he did, <laughs> he did fillings like lickety split, I, I still have on the mesial of one of my upper molars, it's just a mesial uh, hole prep that he put in probably when my, my pre, my, before my premolar erupted, he just went in and out quick and there's yeah. some amalgam in there. It's still there to this day. So that's a pretty long time. So my experiences were not vast. My, my orthodontist was, and I, he probably didn't like me and I probably didn't like him because I was, I just didn't want to sit still. So so talk now, you, you're going to graduate, you graduate endodontics and what, what's your next step? What's your, and what year about, where, where are we at? So now I think I'm in the 23rd grade at this point. Huh. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I tell people. <laughs> um, so when I did my GPR in New York city, I had met my husband. Now we were co-residents and um, he wanted to move back to Charlotte, North Carolina. So he moved to Charlotte when I moved to South Florida to do my endo residency. And um, six months into my program, he proposed. And then I moved to Charlotte. And six months before I graduated, I started to scope out, you know, office space to see where I was going to 
opened my practice. So I graduated endo in 2008 when the economy tanked. Yeah. That's so, yeah. So nobody was looking for an associate and nobody was growing at that point. So I had two choices, be unemployed or open my own practice. So I had to open my own practice, which is what I wanted to do anyway. So this was a good, um, it was good that I didn't have any other options because I think my life would have turned out differently, but I'm so happy. I started my own practice. I'm so happy I did it from scratch. Um, I was able to make it the way I wanted it. And I've grown beautifully and organically ever since. I didn't know a soul in in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as a specialist, that's kind of hard. So I had to make my network. So what what did you do? I was everywhere. (laughs) And so I opened my practice on my birthday in December in 2008. And I moved to Charlotte in July. So I had about six months to gain some speed and meet some people. And luckily my husband's a dentist. So I was able to meet some of his friends and, you know, some of his classmates from dental school, he went to Chapel Hill. And so my network just started to grow and I strategically, I opened up the week of Christmas. So it was a great way to take emergencies when people were trying to get in at the end of the year. And I just ask people to give me a shot. I'm like, just try me on an emergency. And if you like what your patients have to say when they come back to you, you can keep me as a plan B if I'm not your plan A right now. And that that was that. And then um, I was the first female endodontist here. So I, at first, I was like, I felt like it was a weakness for me because it was the old boys club and I would try to take people out to lunch and they would look at me like I was like this little kid and not take me seriously. And I was like, okay, well, that's fair. So I need to pivot here and find where I fit in. And more women were opening their own practices and I created my little tribe. I started this thing called dental divas. It's very similar to what we have now with the mommy dentists, um, but it was a small little group. And I got the women in dentistry together in Charlotte and it was awesome. And it turned out to be this beautiful, supportive group. And we covered each other for maternity leave and supported each other. And we still hang out. And that's where I've made my friends and kept those friendships strong. So that's that network is really what got me off my feet. And within two years, I was looking for my first associate. What was your business model? What did you set up? Say that again. What do you mean? Your business model. You went in, you opened from scratch. Did you sign up on insurance plans? Oh, yes. You... Oh, my model. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What was your business? Um, model? Yeah. Like? I, I was told <laughs> that I had to be in network. Um, and so I was in network with about six plans in the beginning because that's, I just listened to everybody. And I did that for a while and realized that Delta Dental was not going to give me a fee increase. I was on the same fee schedule for 10 years without a fee increase. And then I was like, okay, this has got to go. So 10 years later, it was in network 
for 10 years. And that's how I grew really. Um, I think, I don't know, but maybe I would have just grown just because Charlotte was growing too. So who knows? Um, but I got so busy that I needed, we're now three doctors. And, um, every year we started after 10 years, I started to drop my insurances because I, I had like a one month wait to get in. And as an ended on us, I feel like that's the kiss of death. So I don't like to be booked out more than a week. I, I think that's like the happy place as an endodontist to be booked out a week. So if you lose a patient, then you can pull somebody forward from the future or somebody back from the future and, and still maintain that level of production. Um, But when, when did you decide, when did you make plans to say, and, and how did you, uh, let's talk about going out now. Let's talk about getting insurance plans. Cause we're going to talk a little bit about that work-life balance, which you touched on briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you say, I, I, you said it, you had a, you know, you were booked out about a month. So you talked about, so that's your workload, but at what point did you ever say to yourself, I've got to start getting out of these plans. They're too little reimbursement. I mean, what, what was your strategy and what, when did you make that decision? So I was listening to a podcast by Gary Takis and he was talking to Lois Banta and they were pretty much doing math. And I, I was listening very astutely and I, I was like, wow, this really makes sense. Mm -hmm. If you calculate, if you look at being a network as those are marketing dollars, right? And if you're a million dollar practice and you're doing a 30% write-off, and you're spend that means you're spending 300 grand a year on marketing and nobody spends 300 grand on marketing <laughs> nobody like nobody wants to even pay a social media company 2500 a month they cry about it so i'm sitting here going wow i am this is ridiculous and then i would actually look at my day i would look at it annually and then i would look at it by the day and i saw that once I added up all the write-offs, by the end of the day, it was $2,500 a day. So I was actually, for my last two patients, I was actually paying the overhead for those two patients. And I'm like, I would be fine if I had less patient volume. I, I would be fine. I would actually make the same amount of money whether I went home at four or six o'clock and I was coming home really late. And I finally said, okay, it's time to, to work easier. So I d- decided to drop Delta and MetLife in 2018. That was pretty ballsy of me, like to do the, my biggest ones first. And at the same time, I added an associate too. Which okay, is that would be, almost be counterintuitive based on <laughs> how, how you were kind of brainwashed that you had to do this. Yeah. Right? And, and you said and you you said it yourself, that's how we grew. So yeah. You're yeah. going to add someone, you're going to want to grow, but now you're going to bite the hand. I, mean, I was definitely terrified. Definitely, yeah. ter- definitely terrified. Um, Why'd you but, take one first? What, 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 was the, what was the impetus for those to be first? That was the biggest write-off. So and the, they were the worst reimbursement plan. Worst reimbursement. And they would not negotiate with me at all. They would not give me a higher fee schedule. I was writing off almost $500 for Delta 
for one root canal. And I was like, I'd rather not work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it, it was just, it was too much. And I, the conversations that I had with them, I, I they, it just felt disrespectful too. So I, I something in me just said, this is no longer aligned with the way you want to practice. And I really, but it was them person. It was that business personally that Delta in this case, Delta yeah. that didn't check the boxes for you. Correct. I gotta, I gotta believe though, that there was a personal, the personal part. So that like, if the fact that you're staying later than you really want to be there, you've mm-hmm. said that. Yep. So now you got to look and say, okay, I'm going to take this out on somebody, but you're also going to look at it and work smarter. So yeah. you start, you start, did, was that your, was that your first driving motivator? Would you say that the personal part or was the other part? Well, 20, 2016, I hit a major burnout. I I was done. I didn't want to own my practice anymore. I was begging really? somebody to take away the keys. I I really hated my life. Like it was bad. I I was not a happy person. I I I I was done. And that that burnout, I, I feel like I almost ricocheted off the ground and came back up and then kind of woke up. It was a, it was an awakening. And then I started to realize like I was just so stressed out. There was, I had so much AR. It, it was just, it was an ugly, I, I call it my messy middle. And I was a bad leader. There was so much, so much that I had to overcome from. And I realized that I needed to really work on myself. And that was where I started to work on my self discovery and my self development. And so between 2016 and 2018, I had so much personal growth and that's when I realized like my value and what I was actually doing. And that's understanding my worth and my value is where I got the courage to get rid of the insurance. And it it made me so happy to be able to come home and have energy for my family that that is what kept me going. Like, oh, I can keep doing this. So I, I have three children. And now I say I, I dropped a day a week at the practice. Every day, I, every time I had a child, I would drop a day. <laughs> and so I went from five days to four to three to two. And now I work five days a month. And my production really has not changed. I make way more now than I did in five days um, a week because I dropped insurance. I'm reimbursed appropriately. And what about what about your other docs? And and are you still in, do you still own the practice? I just sold. I just sold my practice about a year and a half ago, which okay. was a, a big deal for me. Yeah. Um, because it's my it was my first baby. Well, you started it in your own vision, your own, you know, I mean, you can't yeah. get organic than that. Yeah. And it's, it's different. It's good. It's different. It's hard having a mom and dad <laughs> in my practice. Um, but it's what I, I feel like my trajectory is, is shifting. Like I really love teaching. I really love the education piece. And I love just like your teacher helped you really have a love for endo. I love being that teacher for so many people. 
Yeah, it's like I, I'm my coaching and basketball stuff too and stuff. And I help a lot of dentists when I can. Yeah. The uh, Let me ask you about, I, I don't want to dive into it, but your words were so powerful when you spoke about 2016 and the burnout. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? You don't sure. have to. No, we can. I, I, it's a great topic. And I feel like my shadows, like I, I love my shadows actually, because it has really brought me into the light. Um, I, I considered myself at that point, the queen of turnover. I, I was not a good boss and I, I forgive myself for it because I was just, I was hormonal and I was stressed and I was wearing so many hats. So I, I give this lecture and I made an org chart of 2016 and all of the, you know, the aspects of a business and my face was in every bubble. And then when I realized that everything was literally like just laying on my shoulders, that I really could not handle that on my own and nobody can. And now if you look at my org chart, you see me, I'm just the visionary and I have all my people, my right people in the right seat. But the practice was running you, right? You, you're so yeah, good. Ab- absolutely. I mean, if you looked at me from the outside, you would not notice, right? But internally it was a hot mess. And now I actually love my practice. I love it. How did you get your inner self aligned with your outer self? I had to do a lot of the work. I think it's really easy for people to blame others. And yeah, just go on social media. It's easy. Yeah, just, just but it, it wasn't this team member or that team member. It, it was me. I wasn't showing up as the right leader. I never shared my vision with my team. They had no idea where I was going and where I needed them to help me go. They, I never managed expectations. I didn't have one SOP. I, I just expected them to give, deliver me what I wanted, but I never told them what I wanted or how I expected it to get done. So the moment I put the mirror up to myself and realized that I was really the problem is when things started to shift and I started to see what I needed to change in myself to actually create a better environment for the rest of my team. And I continue to evolve. I'm still not perfect, but if you ask some of my team members who, I don't know how they're still with me, but I have one, one girl, Michelle, she's my OG. She started my practice with me. She has seen me come full circle (laughs) crazy and then another girl victoria she's been with me over not over 10 years um so who helped you get to where you wanted to get to at that between those two years between 2016 and 2018 did you did you hire someone did you work with somebody you have a mentor who did that that who was your joe McMenamin at this point yeah or um, your, I've, your i've had a few i've actually had a few i've had multiple coaches Um, And I continue to have a coach. I will always have a coach. Um, And I just learned different things from different people. Um, Probably one of my best coaches for my practice was um, my girl, Reagan, who is with Fortune Management. Mm -hmm. That was, um, she really helped me instill the culture um, into my practice, which was missing from 2016 to 2018. 
Um, now there's a beautiful culture in my practice and I'm very proud of it. Um, what else? I, I worked with uh, Spear a little bit, not as much, but a little bit there. And then I even learned things from Anissa Holmes. I kind of took all these different programs. I read a ton of books. I would say podcasts and books are where I started. And um, I learned, I just learned so much, but I, I have to give kudos to, to Reagan. And we still, we still have her every now and then she comes in and kind of you know, hits the reset button for us. And we had our best meeting with her actually this year. And there was a lot of transparency in that meeting. There was a lot of uh, vulnerability, a lot of beautiful tears um, and just open honesty between everybody on the team. So 2018, you dropped Delta. So you come out of the dark you have a, a you fix the internal doctor you fix you you get the practice you want to align it is that the motivation pushing you pushing you to get out of the network because you said you found your you, you found what you really were valued yeah. so that that started to take control of the bus that fair yeah Absolutely. We, we saw, you know, we kind of didn't have the fear anymore because we survived that bandaid being ripped off. And so now we felt like, okay, we can get rid of Emeritus. We can get rid of Aetna. We can get rid of Carrington. Um, it, you know, COVID was a big part of it because we kind of saw how we wanted to practice. COVID was actually really special for our team. Um, we got rid of a lot of uh, the bad juju, and that's when I feel like we started to really attract the people who were meant for us. And now we have people still leave because they're having a baby or maybe, you know, they have to move, but it's not like how my turnover was. Um, we really kept our core during COVID, and that that was important. But we also saw how we wanted to practice. We didn't know who was furloughed, who had their insurance during COVID. So we kind of went fee for service in that time because there was so much uncertainty. So we learned how we, we learned our verbiage during that time. We realized we didn't have to be so scared of patients and going on a network. And then we decided, okay, it's time to keep getting rid of more, more of our insurance plans. So 2018, when you dropped Delta, how many associate docs are working with you? 2018, so just so you know the whole timeline, 2012, my first associate came in. 2015, he bought into my practice. In 2015, we also had an associate who came in. We thought he was going to be good, but he ended up just covering my maternity leave, my third maternity leave. And then we decided that we just weren't a match and, you know, everyone went their our own way. Very, very friendly departure. Um, and then in 2018, our third doctor joined and she's an awesome match. And so it's been the three of us. We had another associate um, at the end of last year. And then again, that didn't work out. And so we went from four, we went from three to four, back down to three. 
So at this point, though, in 2018, you have a partner and you have an associate who's working for both of you. Were you all fully aligned with dropping the insurance? Yes, but I am more the driver for for those decisions. Um, Usually I'm the one who drops the network first and they see how it goes (laughs) and then they'll they'll follow suit. But we kind of all decided. Wait, wait. So you drop the insurance. So if a patient sees you, they pay your fee. But if they see your partner, they pay the discounted rate. Correct. But that doesn't last that long. That's brutal. Yeah, that's too much. Talk about turmoil. Yeah. That's just that you that's that's a that's a tough whirlwind to handle. So but your associate, I think, has to have maybe a different perspective on it. Did the two of you, the two partners, have to have a lot of conversations with the associate? So the three of us are so aligned and we don't treat her like an associate at all. Okay. So, so she, she has is a actually- seat at the table. Yes. And since we sold, we are all partners with our parent company, including her. My partner and I, uh, Mark, we actually gave her some of our shares because she was such a vital part of our growth that we felt like we needed to honor her with that. So you guys sold. Um, so you still have a part a part ownership? You sold a major no, interest? outright. So 100% out. Mm-hmm. So yep. the three of you guys are all employees of the practice now? Correct. Okay. Now, is that going to cause a shift in how the practice is administered? Are you going to start going back into networks? We hope not. Could, though, I, right? Um, it, it could. I wouldn't be happy about it, but um, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It, it's a possibility, but I think as long as we keep our numbers the way they are where even though we're fully out of network now we're still up 200 grand this year and we're not even full like we have room to grow still, yeah. which is great because we want to have capacity uh, you people right. don't want to have... book to the gills you want capacity yeah we have plenty of capacity so we went from a, a time where we really couldn't offer same day treatment to our community to now, like every day, we have room to get patients in, which is what people want from an endodontist. I think people want that from all providers if they can get it. I I, I firmly believe that. I mean, you know, I, I was never I was never a fan of a doc coming in saying, "Listen, you know, you're going to do your crowns. Do your crowns at eleven o'clock on Tuesdays. Do your this at this time." Yeah, patient in the chair broke his tooth. You want a tooth crown? Yeah, let's do it now. Yes, doc, let's do it, please. They're ready. They understand it. You don't have to, you know, it's like, and if the problem comes with the, with when the patients aren't mentally prepared or they're not financially prepared, or they thought it was just a consult. So we, you know, it's just how you engineer your schedule. And so we try to leave the end of the day open because you never know what's going to call you, but we also try to be as full as possible. Mm -hmm. But we can get people in within 24 hours to do treatment, which I think is great. Yeah, but if that patient's in pain and you explain this is what we can do and you explain to them the finances and what their responsibility is and they're like, they're, they're, it's, you're, there's not even there's not a sale anymore. It's like, yes, right. you do this. It's simple. The demand, you, you know, you, you're not show, you don't even have to show them anything. I get it. Let's do it. Yeah. Here's your responsibility. Yes, here's my card. Let's go. Like I, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a big believer. I was never a believer in the old model, which was, okay, we'll see you Tuesday at two o'clock. 
Well, Tuesday at two o'clock, the tooth may be off of their mind anymore and they may not show up. They're here, you know? Yeah. So, so very interesting, um, your technique and move the work life balance. Let's hit on that. But I, it's, it's a common thread though. It's been a common thread through this. What do you want to add to that conversation here? How, how is that integrated and now become even more apparent into everything you do? So in 2019, I, I did this thing called Lifebook. And I loved it so much that I actually, my husband and I became lifebook life coaches now. And we started to really understand what a true vision is and how we wanted to live our life and how we wanted to feel in this life. And that has been the biggest game changer for me because now I feel like I can actually live my life with intention and live a life by design. And so I started to really design my my days. <laughs> like, how do I want to work? I knew that every time I would walk into my practice, I would get sucked in and I would never leave. So I needed to consolidate my time. But I was fearful that I would lose production. So I started to do the time analysis of what I was doing. And I got really granular with my times during my treatments. And so I, as an endodontist, I think it's easier to template your schedule, but I started to do that so that I could have this goal in mind, this financial goal at the end of my day. And then I could reverse engineer the schedule that I wanted based on that goal. And what I saw was that I was wasting so much time during my week that I could actually make the same amount of time and consolidated days. And then all of a sudden I had two whole work days in my week. I was doing this for three days a week. And then all of a sudden I had a day of the, of the week to work on my business. And then I had a whole other day to work on me and my family and, you know, go to the bank or, you know, just get some errands done. I, I wasn't able to do that for so long, but just being able to really time hack my life a little bit and start designing things in the way that actually gave me a beautiful energy. It, it like I'll never go back. Well I think when people start to use the word and I and I I found it to be powerful when a person says intentional. Um you know the these you you start to act and live intentionally mm -hmm. or purposefully. You know, the purpose given, what's that? The purpose driven life. That's a Rick Warren book, I think is the name of that book. But I, I think it's it's an important concept to grasp for a lot of folks. And it's not, it doesn't have to be religious. It doesn't have to be, you know, esoteric or, you know, this aura. I think just the terms and the way you described it, way better than I could put it, the intentionalness of it, the purpose of it. And the you know you talk about reverse engineering part, and that's like that's the beauty of like you know you, you want to talk to a financial planner. Well, let's look at what you want to retire, and they always reverse engineer, right? right. I've always fought that. I'm, I've always fought that for some reason. I'm like, listen, right. listen, it's a little game. Let's not play that. But anyway, so you you do that, and for yourself and your husband, now you've got a little more clarity of who you are, where you want to be, and what you, and what you want to be. 
not just and you're not just an endodontist. Right. Let me ask you a question about the other component, the schooling and the teaching component. Is that a separate business or is that part of? 100%. 100%. It started and it was really birthed from that burnout because I wanted to do so much more and I was just not going anywhere. And it was 2017 where I gave birth to that idea mm -hmm. of eSchool. I was like, I really want to teach these people because I, I like to teach in tooth stories and I would see these tooth stories coming into my practice. I'm like, there's such a need for education. Like, how do people not know this? How am I witnessing my tooth story from 1995 to right now? Like, why is this still happening? And that was where I realized, like, I, I have more to me than just being an endodontist in the four walls of my practice. I, I had a bigger thing that I was meant to do and... I feel like I experienced that toothache and met Dr. McMenamin for a reason. Now, how do you work that out? Don't you need a facility? Like, is your facility that you're teaching from? Is it in your house? Is it in the office? Did you have to work that out when you sold? I got a million questions about this stuff, but how did you yeah. work that out? Yeah. Um, so in North Carolina, you can, so I have a few different iterations of my program, right? It started out with just me wanting to coach online and me being a part of the program. And then people started asking me, well, I don't want your coaching. I just want the content. So I was like, oh, well, that's easy. So then I packaged like a DIY version. Um, so there's, those are the two online components, which is the eSchool, I call it independent. And then eSchool with coaching, which I run that twice a year. I've usually it's like uh, January, February enrollment, and then September, October enrollment. And then after I created that, then people were like, oh, I really need a hands-on component. But I'm very anti-extracted teeth because it just doesn't extrapolate to clinical like value at all. And then after so many people asked me for you know a hands-on component, I was like, well, let me see what I can do. And it just so happens in North Carolina, that you can actually do this. There's a little statue in the bylaws that say, you know, if you have a program like this, you can have people come from out of state and even Canada or out of anywhere, as long as they have a malpractice insurance that'll cover them, they can take your course. So it's like, whoa. So now- So they come and they work on patients? Is that what you're saying? Yep, they do. I take five dentists at a time because I have five operatories. I actually don't even want, even if I had 10 operatories, I wouldn't put 10 people. I think five is all I can manage because it's a lot. Um, they come and they do four root canals, which is pretty much what you do in all of dental school. But now they have some clinical experience already under their belt and they have this amazing foundation. You have to go through the online coaching portion in order to do live because safety first, I need to make sure everyone's on the same page because you're now working on, on real live patients. Um, and if you're not, you come and watch me do a root canal from start to finish. And then we actually, I um, kind of teamed up with Dense by Serona because my practice is walking distance from the academy here in Charlotte. So we do a little bit on extracted teeth in their sim lab and we get used to the equipment. And then on Saturday, Sunday, it's, it's Friday to Monday. On Saturday, Sunday, you, there's a morning patient, afternoon patient each day. And then on Monday, you come back and watch me again, and you watch me do consults and more treatments. Um, but they're doing the treatment, and I'm watching them. 
so they can actually implement everything they learned in e-school with coaching. And the beauty of it is it's a give back program to the people in Charlotte because they're only paying $100. I wish I could do it for free, but I need them to have some skin in the game so that they show up because a no-show is very detrimental to their experience. So um, the patients pay $100 for their root canal and they get a root canal and the buildup done for them. Gotcha. That was my next question. Is, is there is there a reimbursement now? Are you how does this work out? You're doing this in your office, you said? Yeah. Yep. From Friday to um Monday. So do you does your business pay rent to the endodontic practice? No, I put when I was selling, I put everything in my contract. So you have that niche carved out. They can't touch that. Nope. But it's a great referral source too. Like sure. the community loves it too. So it really supports the practice as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, talk about, talk about, you know, stating your mission and your vision. You put that out there. I mean, talk about differentiating yourself. What we talked about off air today. Hello, you know, ain't nobody there doing that, you know, and that's a huge service. I mean, we have a free day of dental care called Doctors with a Heart. We've been doing it for 28 years, 27, 28 years now. And, you know, of course, now there's a couple offices that try to copy it and then they try to promote it and they try to make themselves to be, you know, the best things in sliced bread. Where we've been doing it because we just think it's essential for your community. You want to give something back? Why not do dentistry, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's about my favorite day of the year. Um, yeah. And it's easier when you can do it in your own home. Right. Oh yeah, with your own pots and pans, right? Yeah, I I prefer it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, a lot a lot better of a dentist in my own house. So. Okay. Well, I was just curious because I know some of those uh, corporate purchases or those sale purchases become tricky, and uh, the real estate is one thing, and then the business entity, and then conflict of interest, and you have all that other stuff you got to deal with. Yeah. But, no, my relationship has been pretty pretty good. It's well, you laid it all out at the beginning. You said it, so it's all in there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so in wrapping up, is there any other words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I really think that dentistry is is really a gift. There was a period of my career where I hated it, and I said to myself, I will never let my children be dentists. And I will have to say that I've come out of that cloud and I'm so grateful for what dentistry has done for me and my life. And I love doing what I do. And if anyone's feeling that way, I feel like there's a way out. Like I look at how the world is changing, like with AI and how it's impacting like people who are on my team, my, my online team. And I'm just happy that it probably would never, like, maybe it will at some point, but doing what we do, it's, it's really a skill. It's a craft and it's a gift. And I'm grateful more now than ever for being a dentist. Beautiful words of wisdom. I was going to say, I thought you've almost described two times when you hated dentistry. But the one time is when I think you true. The other one, you just you just pivoted. You know, you said, "Okay, I'm going into endo." So, all right. So, my final question is not a dental question, and I ask everybody when it's their first time. It's first time with me. I know you were on with Drew before, so 
if you could go anywhere back in time to any place at any time, where would you go and why? Oh, man. Have some fun with it. Oh, my gosh. It was actually part of a story that I forgot to tell you. It's a really funny story about how I I was in dental school, thought I still had my spot. I mean, the outcome would have been the same. But man, what a stupid mistake this was. So I got into Buffalo Dental School and I thought I had secured my spot. But I didn't submit my deposit. And this whole time I'm thinking, oh, I'm in dental school. And then luckily I heard from Maryland. I got off the wait list. And then I called Buffalo to say, hey, I've accepted Maryland. I'm no longer coming. And they're like, oh, well, that's okay. Because we didn't hold your spot since you didn't send in your deposit. (laughs) That's probably the dumbest thing I ever did. Um, But the outcome would have been the same, I guess. <laughs> so that's what came to me earlier. And it's funny that you asked that question. But if I I wish I probably did that one a little differently. There's there's probably other things, but it's not coming to me right now. But that's that's what stuck with me during this conversation. All right. Fair enough. Well, if anybody wants to reach you, I'm gonna put your um that PDF that your assistant sent me, we'll put that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to reach out to you or your business or your e-school or your other entities and things that you got going on, there's all kinds of ways and pathways to get to you. Yeah. The best way is my website, soniatroperdds.com. That's Sonia with an I. Um, and then also Instagram. That's probably where I hang out most. Same thing, Yes. Just like us old school people. Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I appreciate you very much. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing each other. Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.